Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Today's episode of Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor for my podcast, as well as the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. With just two taps on your phone, you can instantly buy SeatGeek tickets to an event and you can enter that event just using your phone. No paper tickets. Drop your old ticket app. Use one that's built for 2016. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. And don't forget to check out my fairly new website, TheRinger.com, for the very best in sports, tech, and pop culture coverage. And don't forget about The Ringer Podcast Network, which features Keeping It 1600, The Watch, Channel 33, Shack House, and our Ringer shows for the NFL, NBA, and MLB. And finally, don't forget about my new television show, Any Given Wednesday, which runs every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. on HBO and reruns on HBO Now, HBO Go, and HBO On Demand. Welcome to the Ringer Soccer Pod. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And I'm Ryan O'Hanlon, also an editor at TheRinger.com. Also an ex Division One college soccer player. So when you're yes, saying yes. when you're saying you don't that we don't know what we're talking about, that we're just some dweebs pushing numbers around. <laughs> it's not true, man. It's yeah, basically this... like a, an ex PSG player across the table from me. Yeah, I would say so. The Patriot League and the League <laughs> uh, are about the same level. <laughs> Ryan, uh, we are cutting it a little close with Soccer Pod this week to talk about this weekend's games obviously most of our fans are in england and they'll be getting up soon to watch watch this weekend's games uh we will talk a little bit about arsenal chelsea but let's just take a little bit more of a macro ten thousand feet look at everything this weekend and i wanted to talk about jose Mourinho because he's been in the news a lot this week uh manchester united would they be Fleetwood Town, Northampton Town, who they beat this week? I think it was Fleetwood Town. In the ECF? Fleetwood Mac Town. Fleetwood Mac Town, Jamie Vardy Town. Uh, finally ended a three-game losing streak, which happened. Man City, Watford, and uh, Firenord? Yes, Dirk Hout. Yeah. Uh, so that was unfortunate, and it kind of revealed a larger problem with Jose Mourinho, the manager of Manchester United, where here's a theory. Here's here's something I want to throw at you. Okay. Train Spotting, really good movie. Aged quite well. I've heard. Uh, there's a scene in Train Spotting where Ewan McGregor's character and Johnny Lee Miller's character are um, shooting joggers with an air gun, and they're talking. And Johnny Lee, Miller, Lee Miller's character is like, "Once you lose it, you never get it back." And all the greats, everybody that we adore, Elvis Presley, David Bowie, uh, Sean Connery, all these people, they have it. But mm. then they lose it. Do you think there's an it in soccer? And has Jose Mourinho lost it? I think there's an it in regard to Jose Mourinho. I think his much of his effectiveness was, you know, behind him creating this like unified um like us against the world mentality yeah. for all of his teams and sort of being like, I'm gonna protect you guys. I'm going to throw myself in front of the press for you guys and just trust me and our what I tell you to do is going to work out. And it did a lot um, over the first 10 years of his career, and now it hasn't. So I think for him specifically, like when things don't work, then essentially Jose Mourinho doesn't exist He's anymore. not a wartime president. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like he, his whole thing is, trust me, this is going to work even though 
it might seem like it's not going to and once it stops working like it has over the past couple seasons like he can only really say so much to the players well, even more specifically that it's like trust me this is going to work even though it doesn't feel good yeah right and it's not fun because <laughs> you look at inter you know and when he won the champions league with inter he's mm-hmm. got samuel eto playing as a fullback basically yeah that's not fun for samuel eto no he doesn't want to do that no not at but all. You beat Barcelona in aggregate, and you start sobbing on the <laughs> field. Like you're gonna feel good about it. But whenever he's gone to, I mean, I think that you could probably put the ADBC moment for him mm-hmm. at Real because Real is where he gets thrown into this insanely politicized. And for people who haven't read it yet, there's a really good Rory Smith article in the New York Times that kind of is about the situation with Mourinho at Manchester United. But when he was at Real Madrid, and it's such a notoriously gossipy political dressing room, and you've got people like Iker Casillas and Sergio Ramos in there who are pretty much bigger than any manager, even Ancelotti or Benitez, mm-hmm. whoever comes in there. And um, even though they won some matches there, you know, did they win the league? Yeah, they yeah, won he once. won La Liga. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel exultant at the time i remember those those years like and just being like man this is like a not for a team that has cristiano ronaldo this team really feels like they're they're pushing it yeah and i mean he like he famously they were i don't know five points ahead of barcelona at one point and he famously like held a meeting with his players and basically like asked the rat who leaked yeah. info to the press yeah, yeah. um to out himself which sort of suggests like you know, when you're five points up on Barcelona, things should be feeling good, and he's more worried about like who betrayed him, which yeah. is, his priorities are not in line. Well, I mean, at situation. the same time this week, there was a story in the Daily Mail, so take that with a grain of salt. But it was <laughs> a story in the Daily Mail that for the Gail Cleese, she was talking about how Guardiola like ripped into their defense at Man City, mm-hmm. even though they're arguably the best team in Europe right now. Yeah. Um, and, but he was like, you know, he's not satisfied with yeah. greatness, he wants perfection. And this has been sort of the the narrative the storyline for the last 10 years i would say like seven or eight years which is this Mourinho versus guardiola dichotomy Mm -hmm. and this idea that pep is this beautiful equally a control freak but somehow gets these expressive incredible performances out of teams and gets these players to basically be like sure i'll go from playing fullback to central defensive midfielder or i'll go from playing defensive midfield to center back or whatever he's asking these guys Mm -hmm. to do and Mourinho more or less has like a 10 minute now uh freshness sell by date yeah and then as soon as he gets there it's like oh man what a surprise like he's ripping on Luke Shaw there's already rumors coming out about like discord and he's throwing his players under the bus which is such a new thing for him he never used to do that no, and I mean, you talked about Inter, Mil- Inter Milan. You like hear some of those guys talking about playing for Mourinho, and it's like he's some like famous Civil War commander that like yeah. led them. <laughs> like Wall there Mourinho. were like ten yeah. men left, yeah, yeah. and they like fought off like the opposing battalion yeah. for like a week or something. It's a siege mentality. He creates this us against the world mentality. But yeah, that doesn't work if you're a global superstar. No, it doesn't, and it, I don't even know if it. it it's it's just rings so false when you're at Manchester United you know it's the biggest brand in soccer like is it really you against the world when you are the world essentially I think the thing with Guardiola and Mourinho now is that you know preface all of this with we're five games into the sure, season sure but they five lost games, to Watford though five games into the season Man City looks like 
If you imagine Man City getting incrementally better over the course of the season. Yeah, which is what you would assume is going to happen. There's really not much of a question of who's Sergio Aguero isn't even playing right now. Yeah. They look just qualitatively and just aesthetically way different than they did last year, way better. Man U, they're maybe what they were last year, essentially. And that's after adding Pogba and Zlatan over the summer. So why is it so much different now than it was when they played Southampton a couple weeks ago? What I would say, I don't know how different it actually is. I think at the beginning of the season, Zlatan was scoring um, from not not too, not great opportunities, not high um, quality opportunities, and now that's sort of stopped happening. I mean, I don't. I think that's and that's where you get into small sample size. To be fair, yeah. I mean, he scored like something like five and two or three, and then he hasn't scored in two or three, right? Yeah, yeah. He scored like on three of his first five shots yeah. or something like that. Um, and I think part of it is, I think they've played okay, right? Like it's not. Last year at Chelsea, when Mourinho was coaching, they were actually like legitimately bad from their results, and then their underlying numbers were terrible too. So they haven't been like a bad team necessarily. Like they lost to Watford, who's a team that can surprise teams sometimes. Right. Um, and they're in, you know, the results are okay so far, but that's not what Mourinho promises or what you yeah, expect. Yeah, and also just that you wouldn't expect like it doesn't feel like why is Mourinho getting beaten. It's not like he doesn't know who Walt, what Walter Mazzari does. On a, yeah, like Watford. Played. Watford plays with like a back three, which yeah. is like, oh, you know, you have to you have to play differently against that system usually. And it seemed like Mourinho was kind of fooled by it, which seemed weird because that right. doesn't happen with him. He but said that he was only going to play Wayne Rooney as a nine or a ten or a nine and a half. He's already playing him as a deep line playmaker. He yeah. doesn't play a good a well. Like he doesn't really protect Pogba, but he doesn't no. really make Pogba stay in one place. It's. I mean, the Rooney thing is interesting because that's like, that's the kind of thing that Mourinho in the past wouldn't have done. You know, he would have, Rooney would have been the guy that he would have just taken out of the lineup well, right that away. Yeah, to like it would have been like the his first mark, thing he did. Like what Guardiola yeah. is, has done at City. Um, what he did at Barca. What yeah. he did at Bayern. You know? Exactly, yeah. what, he, what he did everywhere. And maybe that's related to what happened with Mourinho at Chelsea last year. Like maybe he needs to respect the organization in some way right so he's playing Rooney but like like Rooney is just at this stage he's just not a Mourinho player I don't know if he really I mean he once was but not anymore he's just you know he doesn't really move I think like when you look back at at Rooney's career you're gonna feel like he was Rooney ever totally the right the round peg in the round hole yeah was there ever like a smoothness to the way that we thought of Rooney. I mean, even Ferguson would be like, play him on the wing, and yeah. play him at the middle. And well, then the thing about Rooney, I think his value is in how versatile he was. Yeah. He allowed whatever superstar was at Man U to be a superstar by playing a different position. Sure. Um, but it also just feels like, I don't know, it feels, you know, Mourinho had success over the first 10 years of his career, like amazing success, and now he's into the second decade, and none of the best coaches in the world right now other than you know Ancelotti um are guys that are like deep into their careers and like the game has changed a lot like right. you know Mourinho's played a very reactive style um and with all these teams trying to play possession soccer like at the be- beginning of the century it worked because teams would just make a mistake and then his team would counter 
Um, but now, like, everyone is focused on, like, pressing and, like, aggressively, proactively defending. Right. And Mourinho doesn't do that. And for the last the, the last three times, the last three teams he's managed, so Real and, this, and Chelsea and yeah. the second stint with Chelsea and then uh, Man U, he's walked into situations where there's a lot of established culture at those clubs mm-hmm. there's an expectation about how they're supposed to play by the fan base and there are pretty established superstars there when Mourinho got to Chelsea the first time and this is sort of like the we, we can kind of cap the Mourinho discussion yeah as like another theory which is that the person that Mourinho seems to hate the most in soccer is Arsene Wenger yeah uh, there's a new book coming out that Mourinho I think did not really is not a official biography by no, any means. I don't think he's like disowned it in any way but he there's a scene in this book where apparently Mourinho talks about uh if he ever sees Arsene Wenger like outside of the football field one day he's gonna punch him in the face break his face and then when they asked Mourinho about it at a press conference apparently he didn't deny saying yeah uh I'm not I can't say that I'm like exactly in tune with why he hates Wenger like that I don't quite get it either um but I think part of it might be a little bit of self-loathing because I think you're starting to see a little bit of Wenger's fate in Mourinho. This is a guy who comes in, revolutionizes the game, revolutionizes mm-hmm. the way it's not necessarily played in England, but maybe the tactical acuity that you yeah. apply to a day-to-day regiment basis. Yeah, he was the, like, we talk about all the great, quote, great managers that are there now. He was the, you know, one that was there first. Yeah, and his pragmatism um, was perfect for Chelsea at the time, mm-hmm. a team that had a lot of money but not a ton of big name players yet yeah and wanted to get from what was it sixth or wherever they were under yeah. Ranieri I mean they got into the Champions League mm-hmm. under Ranieri I think uh and then Mourinho came and took them and took them to a new level but it's almost like he's having Wenger's fate here you know what I mean where it's yeah. like you were the you were the hot dog and now you're kind of a little bit your routine is worn a little thin but yeah. at least Wenger for the most part produces entertaining football yeah exactly it's it's like a an evil version of Wenger or something. So you know what I think should happen? Let's hear it. To, to my solution to all this? Yeah. Mourinho and Pochettino should swap jobs. I don't think Tottenham fans would go for that. Well, I, let's just say they <laughs> had to. Like, Okay. First of all, that's interesting that you would say that. Mm-hmm. I, um, I 100% agree with that, though. Like, Mourinho said. is the perfect guy to take the team that is at the lower part mm-hmm. of the Champions League race mm-hmm. to the upper part of it. Yeah. Pochettino probably could install the mixture of tactical discipline with like flair mm-hmm. that Manchester United fans and board members, I assume, want to yeah. see. I, but the thing is, is that I don't find Man U boring to watch this year. It's just they're they're grinding a little bit, but it's not bad. No, it's not. I mean, part of it is not bad because you know Zlatan and Pogba are on the field, so they're going to do cool stuff. Martial right. is fun to watch. Rooney will make a couple nice passes every game but it just seems like for someone like Mourinho who is such a like or in the past has been known as such a you know taskmaster and micromanager and having every detail how he wants it there's no like distinct style to this team yeah. whatsoever you can't really tell what they're doing well, you can do that if you have if it's Ramirez Michael Essie and Frank Lampard Drogba yeah Damian Duff and mm-hmm. you know like a co- if it's basically like a collective that are stronger than any of the individual parts yeah whereas with this team you've got to build a team philosophy that accentuates the individual skills of players like Pogba Zlatan Rune, yeah Marshall like mm-hmm. 
Rashford. You know, they've got too many. He's a guy who's like always said, I want a 20, 22, 23 man team, mm-hmm. two, two almost world class at least players at every position. Yeah. And that's all I need. I don't want to be bothered with seven central midfielders who all kind yeah. of play the same position. He wants like, he wants two destroyers. He wants two engine room guys. He wants two attackers. You know, like, and that's not what he has here. I, and I think that maybe that's sort of getting to the point with Mourinho in that he is, you know, all the best managers in the world, they have their philosophies and tactics and styles, but they're ultimately all flexible in some way mm-hmm. and they adapt and they adapt over time. And Mourinho just doesn't seem to have done that. So let's talk about specialization more generally, then. Okay. because this has been one of the more interesting parts about this Premier League season, which has been... It's been fun, yeah. Uh, but it, it's been Man City and then everybody else. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty safe to say. Yeah. But one of the themes that's been coming out of it is this idea of like, what is a midfield? Mm-hmm. What is the proper? For every team, it's different. But for when you're looking at it, you have so many players who are like, I do this. Mm-hmm. I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Then managers have well, I have two to four, usually three slots. And each slot needs to do a very specific thing yeah. for my system to work. Now, on one hand, you've got people like Mourinho who are like, shit, I've got Pogba, but Pogba goes streaking upfield mm-hmm. at the drop of a hat, leaving Fellaini or whoever. Yeah. To, I mean, that's part of your issue, having Fellaini. To shield a back four, <laughs> yeah. some of whom have just gotten to the Premier League. Yeah. Then you've got, on the other side, Klopp in Liverpool, who is like, the midfield is just a buzzsaw, and you anybody can be a blade. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing so far from the way that some of these teams have had just difficulty figuring out who their best midfield combo is and how some of those managers have responded to those issues? Yeah, I think <clears throat> Man City is sort of the one team that's figured it out. And essentially, like, their strategy is just like everyone on the field is a midfielder, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there were times at Bayern Munich where there'd be like seven attacking midfielders on the field at the same time. And, you know, those guys are just so good with the ball that, you know, it lets you keep possession and just dominate a game. I think that's, you know, he's turned Clichy and Sanya and Zabaleta into midfielders now. Yeah. Um, and he's got his keeper playing up near the exactly, center Exactly. And like possession. his nominal midfielders are Fernandinho is a holding midfielder, which is what he plays. And then ahead of him, he has David Silva and De Bruyne both playing as like actual center midfielders yeah. and they're usually attacking midfielders but like the sort of fluidity of the team like doesn't let and the way that they press the ball doesn't make them like a you know normally you would think of that midfield as one that would just get completely bypassed every time they lost the ball but one thing is they just don't lose Do the you ball. think that that's a lesson that he learned over the course of time with Barcelona where so he takes over Barca and their possession numbers are almost complete they're just like the other team gets the ball a yeah. couple of times a game, but he's still playing a relatively traditional lineup. Busquets yeah. is the, the holding midfielder, regular back four. You know, eventually he moves Mascherano back there, but it still looks like a football team that we are used mm-hmm. to. And then as he goes through Bayern and now eventually at City, where like you're saying, he's kind of done away with the traditional starting eleven look. Yeah. And now it's like everybody here, like we need to create. St- scoring opportunities from every part of the field yeah. from every player. Yeah, and then it's like 
a team can't just totally pack it in on you because exactly. they don't know where the ball's right. coming from. And then the other thing is like if you're gonna have that much possession, it's like you don't need like a a guy who can't really pass but can defend is right. just useless on your team. And then even he's taking it to even more of an extreme. Like, do you need a sort of classic box to box midfielder if you're right. gonna have the ball the whole game, put another attack on the explain why Yaya Torre is not played for Man City yet, even though he's making two hundred thousand euros a week. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> much to his agents. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, that that's that's like the apex of it though. That's very hard to pull off, I think. Um Liverpool, like you said, it seems like they're more of just like there isn't that much between the three midfielders, Henderson, Adam Alana, and Wijnaldum. Yeah. Um, they're all like relatively active. They can pass a little bit um, and they just run around. Um, and that sort of creates like a situation where you're not as reliant on one midfielder, which I think is a good thing because Klopp's players get hurt right. all the time. But two, it also creates the problem you saw against Burnley where they had so much of the ball that you have these guys who are so good at running around and winning the ball back but when you just have the ball the whole time they're not gonna like pick a pass through a pack defense yeah right um so that's like the problem with playing that way but so the key there is just to never like go behind well liverpool i you know we are understanding more and more about the game every month or year Mm -hmm. with the evolution of advanced analytics and everything and scouting but I watching Liverpool, it's just like very obvious that that midfield looks a lot better when Daniel Sturridge is playing up the yeah, middle. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. You can say the same thing about, say, United. Like they have definitely not played as well since Daily Bling got dropped from center mm-hmm. back, I thought. Yeah. And it's strange how that affects the way the defensive midfield. Like Flaney was a cult hero all of a sudden again when they were doing fine. Yeah. And now that Blin's out, was he dropped or was he hurt? I'm pretty sure he just got dropped. Like, he just got switched out for Smalling, right? Yeah. So, so. it's like, sometimes it's not the midfield's fault that the midfield isn't working. Mm -hmm. Um, Another place where that is kind of an an interesting concern, and this is probably the biggest match of the weekend, is Mm Arsenal-Chelsea. But Arsenal is another team with a collection of similar players. Yeah. And yet not over, they haven't completely committed to, like, an almost oppressively possession style like they mm. pass it around a lot and they, they keep the ball and they move it but not with the kind of assassin's creed that Man City seems to have yeah um, what are you kind of looking for what is your version of the best Arsenal team right now best Arsenal team right now and the best midfield best midfield I feel like is probably it's Xhaka Coquelin or not Coquelin Cazorla and then Ozil ahead of them. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing with Arsenal is that they're they have all of these great passers, but the way that their midfield plays, it's just not that structured. So like they put all these great players out there, but their midfield never really dominates a game yeah. in the way you would expect them to. Um well this goes back to the manager thing. We're talking about like look how much better Sterling looks this year and just from the reports you get from what yeah. they do in training where it's like Sterling's only allowed to run within like this little box that mm-hmm. Guardiola chalks out for him. Yeah. But then you watch Arsenal, and Tom Payne did an awesome piece for us a couple weeks ago about Arsenal. There's just not, like, there's quote-unquote freedom, but there's not any sense. Yeah, well, it's just like, it gets back to, like, <laughs> 
there are 11 players on the field and you're only allowed to use your feet so you need some kind of like structural directive to get the ball to goal that's just like how it works you there has to be some sort of structure for your team you can only be like go out you can only you know roll the ball out and tell your guys to just right. go do their thing so much um with arsenal it's like they just you know playing the ball out of the back they sort of just rely on one guy to get it from the back line and then get it to the attackers which is just against all these teams that press in the premier league no matter how good of a passer you are that's so hard to do yeah um and the other surprising thing with arsenal is that Xhaka just doesn't seem like he's a starter he just plays in cup games and yeah. then comes off the bench and scores deflected goals <laughs> <laughs> um what do you see for arsenal versus chelsea this weekend i know that we don't have to spend too much time on this since this game will be over by the time most people hear this podcast <laughs> i i mean i think chelsea chelsea is tough because they've been really good i think except they've played a very easy schedule except for the liverpool game and liverpool the best way you could look at it for Chelsea, the Liverpool game, was that they played Liverpool toe-to-toe, essentially. That, that's the most generous way of looking at it. But that's a game at Stamford Bridge, and yeah. that shouldn't happen Yeah. Um, if you think you're going to win the league. Um, Chelsea's whole thing has been it's sort of the opposite of Man City. It's that they play these three very defensive center midfielders, and the team is just never—they just don't create enough chances, and then they eventually bring Fabregas or another striker on at the end of the game, and then they suddenly create chances. Right, and maybe in Conte's head, like that works fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe his version of things is to not be losing two nothing at halftime, but to be tied or be one one, and then yeah. you bring in this maestro who just unlocks the game. Which is—it's a strategy, but it's a strategy where against Liverpool they. They were completely out of they it. They fuck up a free kick, so Liverpool goes up one nothing, and then Henderson scores a ridiculous goal. But you're like falling, you're opening yourself up to those opportunities yeah. when you're not playing a more like proactive style. I yes, guess. it's a you can't play exotic Smash Mouth. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are some surprises? I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Everton, who sits second in the table as of Friday afternoon, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I know that they have a player you really wanted to highlight as sort of someone who's come out of nowhere and really been impressive. Yeah, it's uh, this guy, Idrissa, Idrissa Gay, okay. I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, they signed him from Aston Villa. Um, Nobody really commented when that happened. That kind of No, it was like seven yeah. million pounds. Um, Aston Villa was one of the worst Premier League teams of recent memory, too, I would say. But he came over from France, and his stats were very, very similar to Angola Conte's. Um, but he went to Aston Villa and was surrounded by a bunch of... You could name how many Aston Villa players if I asked you. Right. Um, other than a, Jack Grealish. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's like having a great defensive midfielder, you don't, it, you just don't see it when the team is terrible around him, yeah. right? But on Everton, there are actually some... You know, Lukaku's incredible. Um, there are... Uh, Delefe is great. There are players that can do stuff, so... He is just like basically doing in some ways what Conte did last year, just winning the ball and constantly, circulating it, and then getting it to the guys who can do things. Yeah, um, uh, Everton's one of those teams. They remind me, I guess, a little bit of of the way Tottenham looked last year, where mm-hmm. um, they just look like they're in better shape than everybody. Yeah, and when you watch Stoke, who's just getting their asses kicked every weekend, and that usually when a team. I mean, just anecdotally, when a team is getting 
before put on them yeah. week in, week out. That usually means people have tuned out the manager a little bit. But um, it's interesting to see teams that just like look in like they're in better shape like they're eating something differently Mm -hmm. than everybody else (laughs) and how well they do early in the season like a liverpool like an everton like a tottenham where they're just like yeah tottenham i I know that people have talked about kane looking tired but it's strange to see like sort of uh you know there's nothing wrong with like west ham's got the same players that got into the europa league or qualified for it last year and they all look like shit yeah i think the thing with with everton and with this guy gay um you know the thing about like west ham had dimitri payet last year and that was like their huge star that upgraded the team and he creates a ton of chances and scores goals but with like an amazing center midfielder it one protects your defense i don't know if i don't they brought in ashley williams he's not like he's an you know maybe above average premier league player but he's not anything special but the defense is fine and then he also upgrades your attack because he's breaking up the other teams so is it ashley williams and jagielka starting center back pairing jagielka or funas mori the argentinian guy um and then he wins the ball back and just shuffles it on to one of the attackers but the attackers then get the ball with the other team's defense unsettled so he's improving your defense and your attack at once um, without like actually playing defense or as an attacker yeah so that seems almost like it is you know whether it's a stretch four or it's like that that is actually secretly the most valuable part mm-hmm. of a team i mean the, the watching conte play for chelsea this year has been he's incredible like yeah. he really is mm-hmm. probably the difference between lester being ninth and first yeah uh, in a lot of ways, is there anybody else out there that you see who does a job like that across the Premier League? Yeah, or anywhere in in Europe too. I mean, that's the thing. It's like there are that's there. There are only so many like elite center midfielders, yeah, right? right? And Catermole, that, that yeah, Catermole, Glenn <laughs> Whelan, Charlie Adam, uh, Stephen and Zanzi, um, but. I think the point is that, like, when a team like Everton gets a guy like that, you see them take this huge jump. Right. Because normally a team like Everton, you're sort of cycling through this set of, like, above average midfielders that all do the same thing. Right. Um, but they bring in a guy like this, and he sort of seems to vault the team. And maybe um, it's just that Coleman knows how to play a guy like that, too. Yeah, exactly. That's, is, that's part the, of it. Those kinds of midfielders were very useful at Southampton. Yeah. Um, I know what I want to end on. Okay. Uh, this piece you just wrote for us for The Ringer. Okay. Um, talk about the best player in the Premier League right now. I'm just going to read my piece back to you. Please, yeah. Um, Should we get do it in Garrison Keillor's and, voice? And the comments as okay. well. Um, no, Kevin De Bruyne, I think he's... Uh, Pep Guardiola recently said that he's sitting at the table next to Messi, essentially suggesting that he's the best player in the world and then Messi, Messi had a groin injury as soon as he said that yeah as which a... makes makes him the best player in the world yeah um I mean he's just he's been unbelievable to watch um the first five games because it's just he is an attacking midfielder but he's an attacking midfielder who doesn't do anything crazy isn't doing a ton of step overs isn't ripping shots kind of from... reminds me of Bill a little bit in his directness yeah but then has David Silva's passing yeah he's the directness of Bale but less athletic and his passing gets the ball there rather than Bale yeah. just running with the ball um you but know I feel he, like there was a goal 
I can't remember if it was against United, but it was just one of those over-the-top passes that he mm-hmm. just, like, has the most amazing first touch. Yeah, it's a ball over the top, and he runs onto it right before it gets to the center back yeah. and flicks it by him. Um, you know, he's just... It's f- it's f- fun to watch him play because he always makes the right decision when he gets the ball. Right. He holds onto it for the right amount of time, which opens space for his teammates, and there's always multiple options for him to pass to in Guardiola's um, system, and he always passes it to the right guy. Um, the crazy thing about Man City right now is that every one of their players seems like a bargain. Yeah. De Bruyne seems like about half of what you might pay for him right now. Uh, John Stone. Sterling seems right on. Yeah. You know, it's it just, I almost wonder what it would have been like if he had had Jovic or any of the other guys that have kind of washed out there. But he's very good at getting rid of dudes. I mean, Mangala is going to probably relegate Valencia this year. Yeah, <laughs> so it's... exactly. It's it's scary because, like, you know, a coach who is able to develop your players, maybe that lets you save money in the transfer market because um, you can sign this, like, little-known guy from FC Twente or something, and yeah. he'll suddenly be amazing. But Gort, Man City doesn't have to save any money. They can buy whoever the hell they want. Yeah, and if, they, if, if Aguero tears a knee next month they can go buy whatever yeah. the best available striker is and they have been fine without him which i go is... back to what we were talking about with Mourinho. you know it's like guardiola dropped torre in no uncertain terms mm-hmm. and then in very certain terms and heart yeah and bravo looks good for the guardiola system but a little shaky in the england system like yeah. in the, like terms of how he gets attacked but you have to imagine what that must be like for a guy to come in and just be like, who's the big dog here? Mm-hmm. Who's the baddest dude? You're dropped. Yeah. And he's done that at Barcelona and he's done that at Man City. And that is like what we're saying. Like Mourinho didn't do that. Mourinho was like, I have all these big personalities, all these guys with big agents, all these guys with PR teams. Everybody's got friends. Everybody's talking. And instead of saying like, Rooney's dropped and he's a bit player Yeah, if he wants to continue to play for Manchester United he's like no 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 we're going to figure something out and it's like look what look what happens when you do that well it's also like like the Mourinho Guardiola thing it was like Guardiola was this tactical mastermind and Mourinho's this like brilliant motivator and yeah. now Guardiola is doing like the stuff Mourinho would do do you sure. know what I mean yeah yeah so it's just sort I mean of... this could go wrong you look at like what Chip what happens to Chip Kelly teams when no. Chip's just like yeah I'm dropping I'm going to get rid of all the talented players of course, um, it's a different sport, but I'm just saying like that kind of, <laughs> but that kind of exertion of no, your personality for sure. But he's sort of, you know, he hasn't put a foot wrong basically anywhere he's went so far, and it really, it really does. Again, where it's only five games and things can happen to good, bad to Man City, good sure. to Man U, but it really does seem like we're heading into the era of Man City just dominating the Premier League for the. It, it feels future. like it did too. Was it two or three years ago when Mourinho's first year back with Chelsea? Yeah. Where it was just over by, by December. Exactly. But it's like, you know, we, Mourinho clearly has an expiration date on his approach working. And I don't know if that's true with Guardiola. I, it's going to be really, really crazy if we're here in three months and we're like, who's going to manage Manchester United next? I don't think I ever thought I would say that as like an adult soccer fan. No, but it, there's a non-zero percent chance, I guess, that we're there. Right. Yeah. Which right. Is, right would have been crazy i'd say it's 50 50 at this point because he's not a feel-good per like he doesn't do the charm offensive thing yeah he leads from the like he's he's kind of a front runner when it's like it's going well for him it all seems fun in games and when it's going bad it seems incredibly childish yeah it doesn't it doesn't like Mourinho doesn't work if he's not winning which is just it's a very very slim margin for error he creates for himself yeah. i feel like and there's been a lot of error 
All right, well, we'll come back in a week or two, talk a little bit about um, where the Premier League's at, maybe we'll do some Champions League, some other leagues. I know people have shown interest in hearing about Bundesliga and Serie A and stuff. So uh, until next time, I'm Chris Ryan. And I'm Ryan O'Hallon. Later. Later.